Turn, if you would, to 2 John. No, I'm not going to tell you what chapter, because it doesn't have chapters. Sorry, I missed last week. We were in Colorado again for baby dedication for our youngest grandchild. Uh, I've actually been gone more this summer than I liked, but hopefully I'm here uh, for a while. We'll go back to Colorado in December, but that's usually after we've stopped having class for the year anyway. Um, I'm here because we've started, I mean, I'm, we're not leaving because my classes are starting back. Those of you who've been here for a while know that I've been teaching uh, high school history and government since I retired three years ago. Well, this year it might have gone a little nuts. I think I may have bitten off more than I can chew. Because thanks to somebody in this class who will remain nameless, he's giggling on the back row, uh, I'm also teaching Algebra 1, Algebra 2, and Advanced Mathematics at yet another school. Now, if you don't know, my degree is actually in math. Uh, but I did mention that I might have to actually study the advanced math because it just covers everything. Uh, algebra. I'm pretty good at. And on top of that, starting on Tuesday night, I'm teaching a college course on global business ethics. And don't ask me how I got into that, and don't ask me how I'm going to survive it. Um, it's, it's actually been uh, rather difficult, not the class, just getting all the electronic stuff ready for the class. I'm still trying to figure that out. I do have a picture. That's all of us uh, when we were in Colorado three weeks ago. Uh, I could go through the list, but anyway. Second John. We did first John. Now we're going to do second, and next week we're going to do third John. Uh, I've told you that we have a young lady that's been living with us for about two and a half years, Savannah, and it took Savannah a while to figure out how I watch TV, okay? I would sit down with my snack, I would turn on some movie, she would come in, sit down, I'd watch 15 minutes and then I'd turn it off. And she'd go, what? And I would either watch one scene for 15 minutes or I would jump between scenes that I liked in a particular movie. And around our house, we refer to this as the Reader's Digest condensed version of a movie. Because who has time to watch a two-hour movie every night, right? So I watch 15 minutes of something, and I just kind of condense the whole thing into 15 minutes. Well, 2 John is the Reader's Digest condensed version of 1 John. That's what it is. In fact, he gets to the end and he says, I would like to tell more, but I don't want to write it down. I'd rather come and tell you about it. And we're pretty much convinced that what he wants to write down is the rest of 1 John. Because 2 John is a Reader's Digest condensed version. So consider this lesson a review of 1 John, and you'll be great. Okay? The elder, that's him. Now, there are some people who 
question everything about the Bible, and they question whether John really wrote this, because it doesn't say, from John. It just says, the elder. But church tradition holds that John wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and we really have no reason to doubt that. As the elder statesman of the church, he is the last living apostle. He refers to himself as the elder. He's not just an elder in a local congregation. He is the elder of the church. The elder of the church to the elect lady and her children. Now, there is some discussion who he's writing this to. Is there some woman who he is writing this book to about, well, about loving each other? Well, the general consensus is that he's writing it to a church. Remember, the church is referred to as the bride of Christ, and he is going to refer to the church, some local congregation, as what? The elect lady and her children. At the end of the book, he's going to say, the children of your elect sister greet you. That would be yet another church. It is interesting because some of the commentaries that elect lady, they're trying to take that Greek word and try to drag a name out of it as if it's some lady's name. Now, in my mind, it would be a little weird if it was a lady because he's going to tell her how much he loves her, and he probably wasn't. Anyway, we are going to assume that he's writing this to a congregation. He is writing it to a congregation who are elect. That means, no, we're not going to talk about election. That means that he's writing it to a group of believers, just like he did in 1 John. So what we're going to see think about it this way, is he wrote 1 John to some congregation somewhere. Then he wrote, started writing 2 John, but he knew he was going to go to that congregation. So he just gave them a synopsis and said, I'll tell you the rest when I get there. That's how he ends the book. Okay, So he is writing this letter to a congregation to remind them not to command them, but to remind them of the commandments that have already been given. Just reminding them. To the elder, the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. This is a pretty standard beginning of an epistle. We see this in Paul's epistles. We see it in other letters. Hi, how are you doing? He's telling them he wants grace, mercy, and peace for them. But it is interesting because Paul will talk about grace, mercy, and peace. But John ends by... Truth and love. If you didn't notice, in 1 John, we spent a goodly amount of time talking about love. To John, there is no break dichotomy between truth and love. And we need to remind ourselves of this. Uh, we talked about this months and months ago, but we need to remind ourselves every day. 
we sometimes think I can talk to you in a loving fashion or I can tell you the truth. But I probably can't do both. The truth is the gospel in Jesus Christ. He's going to talk about that over and over again. Specifically, the fact that God sent Christ in human form, and Christ is God, and he came in human form and died for our sins. That is the truth. I am reminded of a uh, class in here years, years ago, and we won't name any names, but we were talking about Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And somebody commented, I heard this comment, that they had brought an unbelieving friend to the church service, and the pastor had said, Jesus is the only way. The person got mad and walked out. And I made the comment. If the pastor doesn't say that, the elders are going to walk him out. But wait a minute, it insulted this person. Well, I'm sorry. Now, you speak the truth and you do it in love. And in fact, if you're not speaking the truth, you're not truly demonstrating love. Because you see, when I'm communicating with you, I can communicate in such a way that at this point in time, you'll like me. And you'll think nice thoughts about me, we'll hug and we'll leave and we'll all be happy. But if I know that you have a terminal disease and I know there's a cure, but I'm not going to tell you because it might upset you, that's not love. It's something else. To John, there is no break between truth and love. So unlike some of the other epistles, John throws in this idea in the greeting about truth and love. I rejoice greatly. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. Now I have to admit to you, when I first read this sentence, I thought it was a pretty bad sentence. Okay? And then I started reading commentaries about it and go, oh, that's what he's saying. I got from it, I'm glad to hear that some of you are true believers. You know, it's like I visit your church and I go and I leave and I go, well, I'm glad some of the people there are Christians. That would kind of be an insult. And that's what I first thought when I read this. But the implication is not that. The implication is I'm somewhere and I meet some people from your church. And guess what? They are true believers. They are walking in truth. So I report back to the church, I met some of your people and they're walking in the truth. And that's great. That's what John is telling this local congregation. I ran into some of your guys and they are, in fact, walking in truth. It is interesting, just as an aside, there are no names mentioned in 2 John. In 3 John, there's very specific names mentioned. It's a more personal letter. That's next week's lesson. So 
John is writing to this congregation saying, I ran into some of your guys, and it is wonderful to know that they are walking in the truth. What does it mean to walk in the truth? Just as we were commanded by the Father, and now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have heard from the beginning, that we love one another. There it is, right there. What does it mean to walk in truth? It means to love the brothers and sisters that are in Christ. We had a long discussion about this when we worked through 1 John about the fact that we are commanded to love our enemies. We are commanded to love our spouses. But what he is referring to here is specifically loving each other within the congregation, within the body of Christ. Those who say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for our sins, we are to love them. And we had a long discussion. Because, you know, that, well, that might be easy to do with the guy sitting at the end of the pew here in our church, because we have it right. It may not be as easy to do for that church down the street. Who, by the way, believes that Jesus Christ died for our sins and came in the flat? I mean, and you go, wait a minute. But they're wrong about, yeah, maybe. Maybe. That's harder to do. We are commanded to love. Now, that's weird. It's weird because... Once again, as we have said repeatedly, we tend to view love as an emotion. You go see a movie, but before you go to the movie, I look at you and I say, I command you to like that movie. That would just be weird. Now, if I had a gun to your head, you may come and tell me you like the movie. Oh yeah, greatest movie I've ever seen. But to actually command you to have a particular emotion doesn't make any sense. But that's because we understand when we see the word love that love is an emotion. But John understands it as an act of the will to choose that which is best for the beloved. The emotion is what comes later. I choose to demonstrate love toward those who are in the community of Christ. That's what he's telling us to do. And guess what? God has commanded that. God has commanded that we love each other. But what does that love look like? Let's keep going. And this is love. This is love. You're looking for a definition of love. You go to the Hallmark store and you start pulling greeting cards off the shelf. You're looking for the definition of love. What are you going to find? You're going to find a lot of stuff. But here's John writing with the inspiration, with the authority of God, and this is love that we walk according to 
his commandments. <laughs> How many of you have ever seen that on a Hallmark card? <laughs> Go ahead, raise your hands. That doesn't make any sense in our modern day world. Why? Well, first off, in our good postmodern world, we hate the idea of a commandment to begin with. Nobody, but nobody, has the right to tell me what to do. Number one rule. That's a, no, that's not a commandment. Anyway, that's the way we think. So we hate the idea of commandments, and then we as good Christians growing up in the church equate the word commandment with Old Testament, Old Covenant, works, legalism, Pharisees, right? That's the path that we get to. So we have to be reminded. John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling us to love each other. Love those in the congregation, the community of believers. Nowhere in here does he say, if you do that, you will be saved. Now, he's going to tell us in just a moment, if you don't do that, it's probably an indicator. It's a sign that something didn't happen that should have happened. Nothing in this is teaching us that we obey the commands of God in order to be saved. God demonstrated his love toward us by sending his son back to the book of John. We demonstrate our love for Christ by being obedient to the commands of Christ. You see, we have this idea, and it's true, by the way, what a friend we have in Jesus. It's a great song, and it's true. But he's also our Lord. We as good old-fashioned Americans don't put up with this Lord stuff. We're not going to have this. But you know what? By right of creation... Jesus is Lord. But it's more than just that. It's not just, I'm the boss, and I'm going to give you a random list of things to do. I actually had a boss like that one time. It wasn't necessarily a random, but he told me, when I became a supervisor, you have to tell people to do things just to prove that you have the right to tell people to do things. <laughs> I hate to say this, that's just not who I am. Okay. It's not just a random list of commands that he's given us. Hmm, what do human beings want to do that's fun? We'll strike that off the list. Thou shalt not. What else? Oh, yeah, we'll, no, thou shalt not. God created us and knows what's good for our human flourishing. So, how do I show love toward 
another person by following the commands of Christ. I'm not going to kill you. That's a good start. I'm not going to bear false witness. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to take your stuff. That would not be loving. I am going to promote justice and mercy. I am going to demonstrate grace. I am going to follow the instructions that the Creator of the universe told me how the universe best works. And I'm going to go, oh, that's best. I think I told you in here that I am convinced, I did tell you this, I am convinced, and I like this because it's totally unprovable, okay? I am convinced that given enough time, I could convince you of the correctness for your own good of every command of Christ. Every one of them. Why it's better for you to love your enemies rather than hate them. Okay? The problem is, you'd probably be dead long before we got to the third commandment. So what does that mean? It means we've got to turn to the person who created us and say, how does the world work? And the person who created us says, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you, but I don't want to do that. Well, you ask. How do we show love to each other? By being obedient to the word of God. Now, if we had five more hours, and we don't, we could get into a long discussion about what's on these commandments. Okay, is it the Old Testament commandments? Is it this or that? Let's just stick with the things that Christ told us in the New Testament. Let's just stick with that. Let's just stick with the New Testament, and you'll have plenty to keep you occupied for the rest of your life. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not demand its own way. It bears all things. It, yeah, okay. We can just stop anywhere on that list you want, and it'll keep you occupied. That's what God has asked us to do in order that we may show love to one another. But, but, but. That's not on a Hallmark card. Yeah, it's not. It's not. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. To demonstrate love to each other, you will follow the commands of Christ. Let's keep going. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment. Just as you have heard from the beginning, so you should walk in it. It is interesting. There's an interesting play in words here. At first, he talks about the commandments, and then he talks about the commandment, a single one. Now, some people think that single one is the command to love one another. I would tend to believe that in John's mind... There is the commandment to be obedient to God. And then out of that comes everything else. Why? Because I know what you and I want to do. We want to take this list and we want to go, okay, I like number five. 
Number six is okay. Seven, eh, not so much. Eight, well, I'll try that. Nine, maybe on Thursdays. That's the way we're going to do it. We begin to think I can pick and choose. No, there's the command to be obedient to God. There's no picking and choosing. There just is or isn't. Just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Not walk like I'm walking back and forth in front of you. This is your course of your life. It is the pattern of your life. You are walking in obedience to God. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Remember, this is a summary of everything we talked about in 1 John. To John, it's very important that we understand that God... Jesus Christ, came in human form to die for our sins. It is God in human form combined together. Theologically, throughout church history, there's been large numbers of heresies wanting to pick A or B. Okay, Christ was God. He didn't really come in human form. It was an illusion. And you're a good old-fashioned Gnostic. Okay, Christ was a great teacher in human form, but he wasn't really God. Okay, you're a nice liberal theologian. Pick one, okay? That's what we tend to do. And John is saying there are deceivers who are coming who are going to tell you that Christ is not who you think Christ is. Now, this is important. Why is it important? Because one of the most important questions you'll ever address is who is or was, depending on how you want to phrase the question, Jesus I've told you I read a sermon one time by a local big-name pastor of the previous generation, and he had a sermon. Who was Jesus? He was a great teacher, and he died. And that's the end. What you think, who you think, Jesus is, is the most important question you will ever address. Do you think he was a great teacher? Okay. Do live your life that way. But that doesn't answer the question of how to deal with the sin in your life. That doesn't solve the problem. John is telling us that there are false teachers who are going to give us a false presentation of who Jesus is. Such as one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Now, remember back in 1 John, he talked about the antichrist. But he's not talking about the antichrist at the end of time. Although that antichrist certainly fits this category. He is talking about false teachers who are showing up all the time teaching and trying to lead astray those within the church that they don't have the right 
view of Jesus. They are deceiving and they are anti-Christ. They are anti who Christ is. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what you have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. What does this mean? I'm walking down the street and I meet a friend of mine. This friend happens to not be a believer. And I'm going to go, no, I don't see you. I'm not going to say hi to you, because if I say hi to you, I may be encouraging you. No, that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about false teachers. Remember, at the time, Jesus did this. He would walk from community to community. He would walk into the synagogue, and they would go, ah, we have a guest teacher here. They would hand him a scroll, and off he would go. They were traveling teachers. And they would be welcome into the community, or they would not be welcome into the community. What he is telling this local church is to beware that certain false teachers, well, all false teachers, not be allowed to teach from your, in our case, pulpit. Why? Because when you do so, you're giving authority and credibility. If we have a teacher, if we have a visiting preacher at our church, we know, we know that the elders have said, okay, this guy teaches within the realm of what we understand. We'll let him teach. They're not going to let some random person show up on Sunday and stand up in the pulpit. Why? Because we are not going to endorse teaching that is contrary to our understanding of who Jesus Christ is. Does that make sense? Because when we put him in the pulpit, we a community of believers are saying, we endorse that. And if that person then goes out and we go, oh, they're teaching that Jesus Christ was not the Son of God. We just put our stamp of approval on that. And John is saying, don't do that. Don't let them up front. Don't greet them as a teacher. He is not talking about you walking down the street with your buddy who happens to be of a different faith or no faith at all. In fact, it's interesting. One commentator had a discussion about John doesn't really address how to win this person back because putting them in the pulpit is not part of the process of winning them back. You don't do that. You may take them off to the side. You may go get a cup of coffee and say, what is it you're teaching and why are you doing that? John says, watch out for the deceiver and the Antichrist. Everyone who goes on ahead 
This idea of I'm pressing further along, I'm more advanced in my understanding, and I have left, I have abandoned the fundamental teaching of who Jesus Christ is. Don't do that. No, we're not going to have a discussion about progressives and things like that. Anyway, whoever does this does not have God. They do not abide in the teachings of Christ, therefore they do not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Notice the connection. John, in the same way that we talked about truth and love, to John those are intimately connected. There is no such thing in John's mind about pursuing God without pursuing Christ or pursuing Christ without pursuing God. The two are connected. You get one, you get both. You pursue one only to the exclusion of the other and you get neither. That's what John is telling us in this book. If anyone who comes to you brings this teaching, do not receive him. Whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. That's why you need to be leery of giving your credentials to somebody else. You just do. If you don't really know what they're teaching. I mean, you go someplace and they want you to sign a petition saying, support this cause. If you support the cause, by all means, sign the petition. Do it. But if you don't know who they are, be very careful about what you are endorsing. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. I might add, this is the exact same sentence that he ends John, the third John that we'll talk about next week. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. What is it that brings John joy? It's talking with a community of believers. He wants to share the gospel with people who understand the gospel. These aren't strangers. He wants his joy to be complete by coming to see them and sitting down and talking to them. I'm not sure this has much to do with the lesson, but I did read this week that verbal conversation is down 30% in the last 10 or 20 years. We've stopped talking to each other because we're mediating all of our interaction through electronic devices. John could have written them, 1 John, all over again. He could have hired a scribe, hey, make a copy of 1 John. You do know right that it wasn't called 1 John at the time. I'm just... He has this letter, he could have said, make me a copy and I want to send it to the congregation. No, I want to be with you so that our joy may be complete. I want to communicate with believers. Do we want to do that? 
do we want to be part of? I was listening to a uh, Christian teacher yesterday, and he was talking about um, watching church at home. And he was very much against it. Now, he did say, the pandemic hits, we had to do it, great, more power to it. But if you have a choice, the purpose of the church is to meet together. But I don't like you. Oh, wait, <laughs> then we have a problem. I think we found the problem. But it's so much easier. I know this for a fact. It's so much easier just to sit at home in your pajamas with your beverage of choice and watch the church service. I'm getting distracted. <laughs> Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister, that would be the congregation from which John is writing this letter, greets you. Our church greets your church. We live in a very competitive society. We do. My business is trying to win over your business. My sports team is trying to win over your sports team. My this is trying to win over that. And my church is trying to be better than yours. No. We need to understand that we're all on the same side. My congregation is blessing your congregation. We are hoping, we are praying, we are pleading that you too will continue to walk in faith. So next week, we're going to do sec third John. The next week, we're going to start something different. I haven't quite decided, but I think we're going to work through the doctrinal statement of the church just for the rest of the year, which isn't that much, by the way. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to love each other. Help us to be obedient and help us to understand the deceptions that are in our midst. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.